Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Central Christian Church. How are you doing this morning? Good, very good. Are you guys awake this morning? I got like three responses back when I said, how's everybody doing? It was kind of weird. Um, I don't know what, you have been, uh, what you've been going through this week. I don't know what you've been struggling through or what successes you have had. Um, I can tell you this, it's probably nothing short of a minor miracle that I'm here this morning. Uh, I've been really sick this last week. As a matter of fact, if you talked to me last week, I, you probably couldn't hear me respond to you because I had no voice. Um, it was a crazy week of crazy illnesses. It was so bad, as a matter of fact, that... Sherm contacted me on Wednesday because I took Wednesday off to try to recoup from this uh, cold a little bit, and he asked if I was going to be able to make it here this morning, and I said, I think so. I think I'll be able to. Um, And so all that to say, God must want to share with you something really important here this morning, something he has laid upon my heart, and I'm really excited for what he has in store, and I hope you guys are as well. Um, This last month, actually the last couple of months, uh, specifically in the month of um, August, Sherm and Brian spent a fair amount of time talking about evangelism, about the importance of us sharing the good news with others. And this month we've been talking about the next part of Thrive and talking about reaching the next generation. And um, hopefully you have started to see that really reaching the next generation is just a little more nuanced approach of making disciples. It's just with a little bit more of a specific focus. And I am so excited to be able to share with you guys a little bit more about that here this morning. But uh, before we dive into that, I want to take a moment here and pray with you guys this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to be here this morning, to be in your house. God, it was great to be here with one another and worshiping you, lifting up our voices in praise to you. Um, Father, that is our gift. That is our offering. Father, I am thankful for uh, the time that we were able to be together and spend together as a family as we took of communion together. Um, Father, that is um, so wonderful for my spirit. And Father, I thank you for the unity that we have here this morning. Father, as we take some time to look at your word, Father, I pray that uh, my voice disappears and it is your words that go through me. Father, I pray that you'll work the miracle between the bumbling things that I say, and that what is received, what is heard, um, does a great work in your people's lives, that you will touch their hearts, and you will help to rekindle something new within them. It is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. A few years ago, it was my freshman year at Lincoln Christian University. Um, Lang, I'm sorry, can you turn me down just a little bit? Um, I appreciate that. I can speak up a little bit. Maybe I'll help with the breathing sound. Um, a few years ago, I was a freshman at Lincoln Christian University. And I'm just going to say a few because I don't want to say how many years it is, but I will say it was really before the internet was a thing. Um, the world was quite differently. I didn't have a cell phone. And I remember when I got dropped off at Lincoln Christian University by my mom and dad, and then they drove away and they stranded me on campus. That's how it felt. I I did feel a little stranded. Uh, It wasn't because of any lack of preparation that they did, but when they drove away, I felt a huge sense of loneliness. Now, I did have a couple of friends that came from, um, uh, from, um, from Central to me at Lincoln Christian College, and they lived in a different portion of the dorm. I had a roommate I didn't know, and that fall semester was really tough for me. Um, You may not know this about me, but I'm actually more of an introverted person. I'm not naturally outgoing. 
I have to force myself to do those things. And when I was a lot younger, I really, really struggled with that. And throughout the fall semester, I, I sort of hung out with my roommate, and I had a couple other friends here and there. And I, I thought that I started to finally find my friend group um, by the time the first semester was over. And we, everybody went home for Christmas break. And when we got back, I'll never forget, it was in uh, the first week of February. It was about our third week back for the spring semester or the winter term. And um, it was a Saturday morning. I got up, as college students do, probably around 11 o'clock, decided to wander to the cafeteria and get some breakfast or lunch or something like that. And when I got back to the dorm, I realized that the dorm was really, really quiet. And I thought maybe my friends were still sleeping or whatever, and another hour or so went by, and I walked up and down the hall, and I discovered that I was alone on my floor. Uh, my friends who mostly lived on that floor were gone, and they were there last night. We hung out together. And the entire day, I was in the dorm by myself. Didn't have a car, didn't have internet, didn't have a cell phone. I mean, I was literally stuck in my room in a campus with nobody that I knew very well. <clears throat> About 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, all of a sudden, I hear my friends starting to come in through the doors at the end of the hall. And they're laughing and carrying on. And come to find out, um, one of our friends got married over the Christmas break because, you know, he met his love of his life at the beginning of the um, freshman term. By Christmas, they were married. And they, he weren't staying in the dorm, obviously, anymore. They got a house. And they had a housewarming party and invited all their friends. And somehow I missed out on that. I was devastated. I never felt more alone than I did at that moment. Have you guys ever had an experience like that? Where you missed out on something and it made you feel overlooked, not wanted, alone, maybe even hurt. I think we've all had moments like that at one point in time in our lives. There's times that we have been excluded, but there's also times, if we're honest with ourselves, there are times where we have excluded others as well. We don't like to be overlooked. And sometimes we don't include other people for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we keep other people out because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We got invited and they didn't. That's probably a more honest answer that any of us would give up here on stage. Uh, maybe you've left somebody out before because you didn't mean to, but because you were so shy, you didn't know how to approach it. Or maybe you've left somebody out because you weren't sure how they would respond to the invitation. I've, I've been in that situation quite a few times before. Sometimes we leave people out because... We know the other people are going to be there, and it wouldn't be a good dynamic. It might cause some tension or things like that. We've been talking about the importance of sharing some life-saving messages with others over the last couple of months. And Jesus has invited us, he has challenged us, he has commanded us to go and to take this message to other people. And that includes our circle of friends, but it includes so much 
more than that. So as we're getting ready to get started this morning, I want to ask you a couple of questions to have in the back of your mind. First of all, have you, <clears throat> have you ever had a hard time in cl- being included in your circle of friends? Or have you ever left somebody out because of a disagreement that you had with them? The final question might be even a little bit more challenging. What are things that people sometimes do that make people who are not followers of Jesus feel excluded? What are things that we do that can make other people feel like they're not included here? Think about those three questions, and while you're doing that, grab your Bible, either the one that's in the pew or grab your um, phone, open to the Bible app, and I want you guys to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to give you guys a second to do that. Acts is in the New Testament. After the four Gospels. And in Acts chapter 1, we catch up with Jesus. This is after his death, burial, and resurrection. He has appeared to some of his closest of followers. He is telling them what's going to be taking place. And that's where we pick things up at here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus says, But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and it will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, it's probably a verse that you're, if you've gone to church here before, you're probably familiar with that. And Jesus really outlines four different areas. He says Jerusalem. And you know what? There's a lot of times, i got to be honest, I know my students do the same thing. When we read a list of places in the Bible, we just gloss over it. They're names on a page. They're words. But we don't have a picture of what it means. But to Jesus' friends, the people he was talking to, they were specific places. When he said to Jerusalem, he was talking about the place where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. Jerusalem was the hub of the Jewish culture. It was the place where the temple was at. He says, you're going to start and be my witnesses there. And then he says, from there you're going to go to Judea, which is the Jewish countryside, the the area surrounding Jerusalem, the place where all the the majority of the Jewish people live. And then he spreads it out. He says, after that, you're going to go to Samaria. Why Samaria? Did Samaria surround Judea? No, it was next to it. But it didn't surround it. He said, but you're going to go there next. And the reason why is because Samaria was a place where there was a blending between Jewish culture and non-Jewish culture. Non-Jewish cultures, if you are a non-Jew, the Bible refers to you as a Gentile. And it really is pretty that cut and dry. Gentile simply means a not a Jew. And Samaria was a place where there was a blending of those two things. So he says, you're going to go to Jerusalem first, then to Judea, then to Samaria because of commonality. He says, and then you're going to go to the ends of the earth and be my witnesses. What does this translate to you and me? Our Jerusalem? Our Jerusalem would be our family, our coworkers, the people that we see each and every day, the people that are in your life, the people you have the most commonality with, the shared experiences Um, that is your Jerusalem. Beyond that, Judea, the people who are, who are your friends, who are maybe, um, uh, maybe your extended family, your casual friends, the people that you see from time to time, there's still people that you have a lot of common with, but maybe you're not doing life with them each and every day. 
Who would be our Samaria be? Well, that would be people that live around us. People that maybe you, you cross paths with occasionally at work. Maybe we would just say the greater Rockford area or northern Illinois. People who have a lot in common because of where we geographically live. Um, we have a lot of commonality together. And who's, what about the ends of the earth? For some of those people, it might feel like the only thing that we have in common is that both of us reside on this earth and we live every day with our feet planted on the ground. And that might feel like that's the only thing that we have in common. Now, you and I know we have a lot more in common than that. But as we're talking with them, it might feel like we are just that distant. Now, I've learned, and hopefully you have as well, that feeling left out is not something that you just have to struggle with when you're young. It just doesn't disappear when you're no longer a teenager. Are you being left out of things? It happens when you are in um, uh, when you're in college. If you served in the military, I'm sure there was times that you felt isolated at that point in time. We deal with that as adults, and having. uh, come along and support my dad over the last few years, I can tell you that I know that it happens as you get older as well. There are times where you feel excluded. But just along with that, we never get out of this tendency of excluding others at the exact same time. Sometimes we do it intentionally, sometimes we don't. And the fact is, is that even Jesus' earliest followers, his closest followers, the, the, the disciples, his apostles, they struggled with it a little bit too. And fortunately, Jesus, he came to rescue us from our sins. (coughs) Our sins, things that we do to hurt ourselves in our relationship with God, the way that we hurt others. And he has come to rescue us from that, from our death that we uh, have due, and he comes to give us a new life. And this good news is worth spreading to everybody. Because of Jesus' love and his grace and his mercy has been for everyone. He wants everybody to be included and no one to be excluded. And sometimes this message gets a little lost. I apologize. I'm going to have to take another drink here in a second because I'm having a hard time. Um, But while I'm getting a drink, I want you guys to flip back a couple more chapters to Acts chapter 10. Because that's where we're going to be camping out here for a few minutes. Acts chapter 10. As we dive into Acts chapter 10, um, I want to introduce you to a couple of characters. The first one is this, and his name is Cornelius. Um, Probably maybe the most important thing, or one of the most important things in this, is that he is a Gentile. He is a non-Jewish person. He didn't grow up uh, as a Jew. He did not follow Jewish customs growing up. Um, However, the Bible describes him as God-fearing, and he did follow some of the Jewish customs. And the other main player in this uh, chapter is Peter. You guys familiar with Peter? Some of you guys are. He's one of Jesus' uh, um, earliest followers. As a matter of fact, he was the first uh, person who, ident- who recognized who Jesus was and said it out loud. He is often boisterous. Um, <clears throat> he is also a leader in the early church. He is the one who spoke on the day of Pentecost, and when he was speaking, thousands of people received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they were baptized. That was the beginning of the New Testament church. And um, he, these are the two main players in um, Acts chapter 10. Of course, we have God in here as well, not to be left out. Uh, we will see him throughout the entire thing. And as we're going through Acts chapter 10 together, we're going to start in verse 
9 together. Uh, let me slide on over here to that. Now, about noon, the following day, they were on their journey, approaching the city, and Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while, he was, and, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. All right, so here's set the stage. We have Peter. He's up on the roof praying. He is hungry because it's about noontime. Does anybody relate to that? Does anybody get hungry around noontime? Yep, sure do. Some of us are starving by the time that comes around. And Peter was there too. He was ready to eat. And while he was praying, it says that he fell into a trance. Your your, Bible might say a vision or he had a dream. And here's here's how it goes. It can, um, <clears throat> he saw heaven opened up, and something like a large sheet was being let down to earth by its four corners, and it contains all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Now, to you and me, I don't know exactly what this sheet looks like. This was Peter's vision that he communicated to somebody else that they wrote down to pass along this idea to you and me. I mean, when I... Maybe when you think about a sheep being lowered down, being filled with all kinds of animals, maybe you think of like zoo animals. I don't know. Um, if you grew up in rural Illinois, maybe you think of farm animals. Um, I don't know. And to us, we're like, okay, cool. There's, there's, um, there's animals coming down on the sheet. But for Peter, he is going to see this a little bit differently because Peter is a Jew, He grew up Jewish, just like Peter did. Thank you so much, Lori. I appreciate it. And when uh, Peter saw uh, this sheet coming out filled with all these animals, uh, Peter would have started to look at those animals and say, you know what, some of those four-footed animals, those are unclean. I'm not allowed to touch those. I'm not allowed to eat those. If Those reptiles, those are definitely unclean. Can't touch those. Even some birds, according to Jewish custom, he was not allowed to touch or he would be considered unclean, let alone eat. And so he would be starting to have some red flags going off in his head immediately. And look at what, look at what happens here. Um, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. Then a voice Told, uh, told Peter to get up, Peter, kill and eat. So first of all, there was a sheet of animals coming down, and some were clean and some were probably unclean. And then the voice says, get up, uh, Peter, kill it and eat. And now all kinds of things are running through Peter's head. This is a trick, a trap, or something like that. And so Peter's response here in verse 14 is what any good Christian guy would say. Uh, sorry, any good Jewish uh, person would say who had grown up um, in the, um, following the Old Testament commands. He would say, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. He throws his hands up. He's like, no. He, he was afraid this was some sort of test. Surely, Lord, I would never do such a thing. <clears throat> now, this is Peter so far up to this point in time. He's been on a journey. He's the one who, uh, who asked, if this is you, Jesus, out there walking on the water, invite me to come and join you. 
and Peter gets invited to go out and join him and walk on water. And then he looks around and he sees the winds and the waves and, the, and he starts getting nervous and he starts to sink until Jesus rescues him. This is the same Peter who when um, Jesus is there um, washing the disciples' feet, he says, Lord, do not, do not, you don't need to wash my feet. And, and Jesus says, if you don't, won't, won't let me wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And, and Peter says, well, then don't just wash my feet, wash my head and my, my whole body too. He's constantly telling uh, Jesus um, how he is supposed to be doing things. And we see this happening again. Let's continue on. The voice spoke a second time, verse 15. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And now Peter is facing this I'm going to use a big word here, this theological dilemma, the struggle that he has. You see, Peter's dogmatic assumption that the food that he eats will impact his relationship with God is now coming into conflict. That here he hears God telling him to do something new, to do something different. And he has protested, Lord, I've never done this. I will not do this. What's the next verse say? 16? This happened three times. And then immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. (laughs) How many times did Jesus have to tell Peter three times something? It happened quite a bit, actually. They had a, quite a bit of dialogue where Peter is, is not listening to Jesus, and Jesus has to reaffirm time and time again, no, I am in charge. This is the way that it is. And here it's happening again. I've got to give Peter credit. Here he is, a grown man, and he is saying, God, never has anything impure ever touched my lips. I have never eaten any, any unclean meat. You know what? Um... There are some meats that I don't like. Roast is on the top of the list. I don't like roast. I don't care if it's beef roast or pork roast. I don't like it. It could be the flavor. It could be the texture. It could just be the fact that it's roast. But sometimes, as much as I don't like roast, there are times where that's the only thing that's served. And so I have to eat it. And I'm sure there's some foods that you'd prefer not to eat as well, but you are in a social situation where that happens. And here Peter is saying, I have lived my whole life and I've never been, I've never touched anything that's unclean or impure. He has set up these social barriers to keep himself protected. And, And Peter has had a biblical foundation to do that. They were told to not eat anything that, uh, any of these types of animals, or it is, for it is unclean and you will be ceremonially unclean. And now here he has God's voice saying, do not say, uh, say anything is unclean that I have made clean. Let's continue on verse 17. While Peter was wondering what this, what's the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out and asking if Simon, was, uh, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now, there seems to be some providential timing here taking place. I mean, 
it could bring clarity to this vision that Peter has. Now, Peter has been pondering about what does this mean, this vision, this interaction that he's had with God. What is God trying to say? Does he want him to change his eating patterns? Does he need to lose some weight? What is it that God's trying to say here? And then these guys show up. And you know what? Quite honestly, if this was the end of it, if it was just Peter's vision and these guys showing up, as far as coincidences go, I would say that this is not enough here to do something that he feels like he shouldn't be doing. But that's me. This is not, not Peter. I mean, th- that is me. Peter is a different situation, and here's what I mean by that. There are times that you and I, we have co- uh, coincidences that happen in our lives. We're thinking about something, we've been praying about something, and then s- something pops up. And sometimes we read into it that God is telling us that we need to do these things. And sometimes what God is doing around us, it is so abundantly clear that his hand is is behind it that we must follow him. But here with Peter, there is so much more going on than just two things happen to be coincidences and line up here together. Let's continue on in verse 18. Verse 18. They called out if Simon, who was known as Peter, was there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, there is a key difference between Peter and me. I have never heard God audibly, miraculously speak to me. I've never heard his voice like that. Peter definitely has. Peter walked with Jesus. He heard his voice. He heard him talk to him. He heard Jesus as he returned from the dead and gave him instructions. And Peter recognized God's voice right off the bat when he was giving them the instructions to take and eat these food. And now he hears God's voice again saying, go with these men for I have sent them. God is being abundantly clear that God's handiwork is all over this. So Peter, he gets up and he goes with the men to Cornelius' house. And I encourage you this week to go back and read chapter 10 in its entirety and chapter 11 in its entirety because I am summarizing all this way too quickly because I don't have any time. I've already spent all my time that I have. But Peter goes to Cornelius' house and Cornelius says, Peter, what is that God has for you to share with me? And so Peter goes and he begins to share with this Gentile about Jesus and who he was and the miracles that he performed and how he loved those who were unloved and who were hurting and how he helped those who were sick and how he offered himself as a sacrifice and how he rose from the bread, from the, bread, uh, from the dead and left the tomb empty. And while Peter was speaking, it says that the, the power, the, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and all those who were there who were listening. They showed the power of the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. And Peter says, it is obvious that the Holy Spirit has come on them. How does he know? Because the exact same ha- thing happened when he was speaking in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit came upon the Jewish people there. The exact same thing happened. The exact same power came upon the Gentiles. And Peter says the exact same thing. Let's get these people baptized. And they were baptized. Now, all of this would have been really unexpected for Peter. He heard Jesus' instructions, 
but he wasn't following them out all the way. He was still in the area of Judea at this point in time. He had not taken his witness, his gospel message to the, uh, to the rest of the world yet. And God gave him a push. He lined things up and sent him out. It shouldn't be a surprise, though. Jesus was always going to the unexpected people. He was always going, and he chose to focus on people who were sick. He always chose to um, be with people who were the poor, who were marginalized, the people who the rest of the world seen as sinful people. And yes, I put it on there as that because there are times that we look at others and we deem them sinful, like we're not any less, or like we're any less sinful ourselves. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 7 um, and read through Jesus' interaction as he goes to the Pharisee's house in verse 36 through 50. He goes to a Pharisee's house for a meal, and while he is there, word gets out that he is there. And this woman, who is known to be a very sinful woman, um, but has heard the words of Jesus, she comes to the house, and she sees Jesus reclining at the table, and there she begins to wet his feet with her tears, and she dries them with her hair, and she anoints his feet with this expensive perfume that she brought with her, and the the Pharisees, whose house it was, is ridiculed. He is aghast that Jesus would allow this woman to touch him. And Jesus gets after this person and says, who is more grateful? The one who was forgiven little or the one who was forgiven a lot? This woman, he says, because of your love, your sins are forgiven. Jesus' love, his forgiveness, his mercy is for those who seem to be the least or the most unexpected people. And I'm not trying to bring this up with Peter or with the Pharisees to make it feel like these are evil people and they're the enemy because quite honestly, if we take some time to examine ourselves, we have a lot in common with them. There are times that Maybe we don't share the gospel. We don't put ourselves out. These people are not able to be reached by the gospel. We don't know if they will respond. We are afraid that they won't. Maybe we don't think that they are worthy of it. We think that we get to choose based on our opinions and our preferences and how people's reputations are, the things that, how they are living their lives. We think that we get to choose sometimes who hears the good news from us? But the fact is, is that Jesus has asked us to pass on the good news to unexpected people. And that's everybody that he puts in our path. Jesus' good news of love and forgiveness and salvation, this new life includes everybody because everybody deserves the opportunity to know about it and have an opportunity to respond. Everybody is invited. And we know that. As a matter of fact, a lot of Jesus' followers agree with that statement that everybody is invited to hear about God's love and forgiveness and salvation because everybody needs it. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we start to put rules. Rules that get come in place that begin to make exceptions to this rule that everybody is welcome. What does this have to do with next-gen ministry and this focus this year? This verse and these, this right here is making us take a hard look at what are some of the unintentional things, that barriers that we put on people, expectations that we put on people 
in order to be able to hear the gospel, to hear the good news, for us to be able to minister to them like Jesus ministered to others. The fact is that including others is something that all of us can do. It's a very simple thing for us to include others. We all have people in our lives that need to know Jesus. We challenged you last month to figure out who is your one person that you're going to be praying for, that you're going to be specifically focusing on. And Jesus, and, uh, and Sherm, a few weeks ago, he joked about the fact, well, we can't share with anybody else except for that one person, because that one person is my focus. We know that's not true. God puts a lot of people in our lives to be impacted by us, to hear the good news, to hear our testimony, for allow us to be his witness. So who are these people that we should be looking out to, that we should be trying to include? Well, look for people who are looking for a friend. Look for somebody who is easy to judge because of their situation, because of their mistakes, because of their reputation. Maybe you need to include people who are hard to like. Let me rephrase that. Who is hard for you to like. Maybe somebody who is hard to understand. Or maybe the person that God is calling, people that God is calling you to reach out to, to include is somebody from a different culture, a different background, a different age group a different situation from where you came from because that is what Peter is being challenged to do right here. The fact is is that God calls all of us to share the good news with Jesus uh, of Jesus to unexpected people. And the fact is is that we don't need to do anything to earn Jesus' love. There is nothing that we can do to earn Jesus' love. I don't have to get my life right. I don't have to clear out the sins. I don't have to deal with all the baggage that I have in my life. Jesus loved me before I was born. He loved you before you were born. So much so that he sent his son Jesus long ago to pay for the sins that he knew that I was going to make and that you were going to make. There is nothing that we can do to earn Jesus' love. His love is for everyone. Not just those who grew up in a church, family. Jesus' love for everyone. Even those who never even heard the gospel. Jesus' love is for everyone. Even those who have persecuted the church. Those who have made you feel bad because of your faith. Jesus loves them and he has died for them. And it is our job to share the good news to them. And I know that there are times where we look out into the world and we look at this new world that's evolving, this next generation, and sometimes we shake our heads, we are confused. We don't know how Jesus is ever going to reach them. Here's one example of God reaching a whole household of people, a people who had no history with God, who had, um, did not have all the benefits that maybe some of us here have had where we grew up in a church home and had uh, parents who poured into us or grandparents or we had a spiritual mentor who poured into us when we, were, when we were young. So let me challenge you to reach out this week. To reach out this week, find somebody to include And I pray that as you intentionally look for somebody to include into your life, I want that to remind you that God's love is for everyone. 
And maybe, maybe that will give you the chance to share the good news of Jesus through your actions and through your love, through your kindness and through your friendship. And if that goes really well, maybe you'll even earn the opportunity to share the gospel with them with your words. Sometimes we need a reminder that it's not really up to decide (laughs) who the gospel message is for. God has made it abundantly clear it's for everyone. But it is up to us to decide to be a part of that. It is up to us to decide, are we going to choose to pass along this good news to people who are not like us, to people who are unexpected? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that there is nothing that I can do to earn your love, to earn your gift of Uh, grace, of forgiveness, of hope, of a new life. Because God, I am so unworthy. And yet, you love me anyways. And Father, you know the sins that each and every one of us here have committed and how we have taken stances in opposition to you and the work that you are trying to do, how we have spewed hate and we have done hurtful things. And yet you don't hold it against us against us, in being able to come to you and draw near to you. Father, I'm so thankful that your grace is for everyone, that your hope is for everyone. And Father, I pray that you will help us to bring this good news to the world, to the people that you have placed in our lives that seem to be hard to love, hard to include, Father, work through us to reach those who are hurting. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.